0: Is a bloody disgusting podcast network. Hey, I'll swallow a soul. I'll swallow a soul. I'll swallow a soul. <laughs> swallow this. Wow. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents The Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio.
1: Hey, I'm Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren and Leo, welcome to The Boo Crew Podcast, episode 279. This time around, join us as we read from the Necron with multi-award-winning actor, filmmaker, and best-selling author, the legendary Bruce Campbell. At time of release, his brand-new film Black Friday is in theaters November 19th and on demand November 23rd. Hear about bringing these characters to life and collaborating with the iconic Devon Sawa, Ivana Vaquero, and more as employees of a toy store under siege by mutated zombie customers. The film is a pure and total riot, and so is Bruce, as he talks conventions, moving back to L.A., his writing process, along with reams of great advice. Revisit the Evil Dead films, including Fetty Alvarez's 2013 adventure in terror, and a look into the future of the franchise, as he so eloquently puts it, that fell off the back of a truck. It's a Door Crasher special on the Boo Crew 279, on sale now for the low, low price of free, while supplies last.
2: Happy Black Friday. We love toys. We still on for pancakes tonight. Chris, you're on reg for the night. We're short staff. Wait up. I'm Emmett. You ever work retail before? No. There's no day more harmful to retail workers than this day. What do we love? Toys! Good job. Places, everyone. Three, two, go, baby. Go! Black Friday! Thank you very much. Happy holidays.
0: Oh, holy shit.
1: What the f there is something wrong with the shoppers.
0: Black Friday is over! Chucky says we're all
1: going to die. Back up, homie! <laughs>
0: Head screen that's all we need another victim crawls onto the gurney for a boo crew autopsy
1: joining bloody disgusting's boo crew via the speakeasy studio is an absolute legend. His debut feature-length role as Ash in 1981's The Evil Dead jumped off the screen and to this day is one of the most recognized characters in film franchises in pop culture history. Perhaps even more importantly is the punk rock DIY ethic and techniques established by himself along with Sam Raimi, Rob Tappert, and crew that is directly responsible for almost anyone crafting films after that point as they unlock the imaginations and fans and all of us through a truly unorthodox and exceptionally creative approach that changed the way movies are made forever and it's kind of the only time that's really happened in our lifetime so it's remarkably special he went on to appear in classics including william lustig's maniac cop running time john carpenter's escape from la bubba hotep acclaimed tv series the adventures of briscoe county junior jack of all trades the emmy winning ellen x-files xena warrior princess fargo the most watched scripted original show on television burn notice among countless others over 20 credits as a director and screenwriter he's a new york times best-selling author with several books out including his latest the cool side of my pillow and whether he's doing voice work and animated features for disney to the most successful video games in history to returning to the world of ash vs evil dead with stars where he was instrumental in earning it a dozen awards he has first forever pushing the envelope forever, showing us how to maneuver the world of the art of storytelling and all its eccentricities while surviving and thriving as a creator and forever unforgettable. His latest project finds a group of employees defending themselves from a horde of shoppers who've been turned into monstrous creatures at a toy store on the busiest shopping day of the year. It's called Black Friday. It's in theaters November 19th and on VOD November 23rd. We are honored to welcome the inimitable Mr. Bruce Campbell. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for, the intro
2: appreciate it I'm much overblown but uh that was, sounds good <laughs> not a word of exaggeration I, I just like continuing to work that's all that's all
1: i care about have a place to have a place to go every day <laughs> well thank you yeah. so much for hanging with us it's a real pleasure so we're out in burbank uh, leo's in eagle rock as i said what did la look and feel like during your time here what were your haunts things you love didn't love I've been here and I haven't been here. You know, I just moved back to Los Angeles after 22 years in
2: the Oregon wilderness. Oh, no way. I did the opposite of what people do. People during <laughs> pandemic are like, let's get out. Let's go away. I'm yeah. like, go back to the city. Go back to the city. Because we have a thing called uh, services here and uh los angeles for all of it, you know i love people who are warning me los angeles oh my god there's traffic there i'm like you don't think i know that you don't think (laughs) there's earthquakes i was through the earthquake i lived through there's civil disobedience yes i'm from detroit we know how to riot in multiple cities i've seen it got it get over it but la look la you know here's the bottom line i missed all my old homies that you'd go to some crappy deli and complain about the business. That's what I miss. So, you know, up in Oregon, it's like you hunt, fish, drink, and uh, look for something to hunt and fish and drink. You know, I mean, it's a limited uh, palate of
1: activity <laughs> sure <laughs> you've been there and done it you've been there and done it at the time of recording this we caught you right before you're off to the stanley hotel for bruce fest right that's that's coming up that's on the right weekend. yeah
2: it's uh i'm doing a series of random experiments uh and with appearances this year uh i have a very uh fun agent who was sort of it came up a few years ago hey bruce you know our agency does more stuff than just booking shots on you know ap bio I'm like, yeah, like what? What do you do? And so I've been working with a guy who we're trying all these weird different things. And so we're trying to Bruce Fest, come have a Bruce weekend, uh, see some cheese ball movies, and uh, we're going to have you know a lot of the standard convention stuff, photos. Uh, I think there's even like a, um, it's like a farmers market only for horror. Oh, cool. You know, so you you, you wander along the, the stalls and buy your skull rings and, you know, fake <laughs> blood recipes and, and get your tattoos, whatever they're going to have there, you know. In fact, I got my first tattoo. Oh, whoa. It's a family crest. It's um, It says knee It's a boar's head. And I, this tattoo was from a guy who used to tattoo at conventions. And. I thought, okay, I'm going to get my first tattoo. Who am I going to get it from? And the answer was not from a schmo because tattoos last for a while. This is my first one, so I still have many, many ties to can deep ties to conventions. So this was a chance to have a cool setting too. It's not you know a lot of these conventions they're in the ugliest buildings known to man. They have basically anti theft lighting is going in the and the whole time they have this luxurious thing they call pipe and drape. It's just these aluminum pipes and black drapes. There, you've got a dressing room.
0: <laughs> it's all yours.
2: <laughs> and you're like come on, come on man. So this is the Stanley Hotel which uh, apparently gave Stephen King the impetus to write The Shining. It's in the beautiful Estes Park. So it's going to be really freaky deaky. We're going to have I think a lighting ceremony at one point, we're going to light the building up red. You know, there's, there's going to be some, some crazy stuff that uh,
1: this is not your father's Estes uh, park uh, hotel. It, it, there's even one tier where you get to go to a murder mystery dinner. with Oh you? yeah, sure. Come, come for the shrimp, <laughs> stay for the carnage.
0: <laughs> <You know?
2: laughs> yeah, it should be fun, but you, it's one of those events. We come in, You know, everyone loves these experiential things. So we're going to we're going to
1: experience you and, you know, you'll be lucky to make it out alive. (laughs) So from where we stand, we are seeing a massive horror renaissance. The highest grossing films during the pandemic in theaters have been horror movies. There are streaming services popping up, events like what you're talking about here in Burbank. There's five shops on one street that are all dedicated to horror. What what are you seeing out there from your vantage point? And what do you attribute this to?
2: Well, I'm going to send a thank you check. Uh, not that anyone from The Walking Dead needs it. Uh, they're all independently wealthy now. Every <laughs> single one of those people <laughs> working at it. I don't care what you say, whether you're in a lawsuit or not, you're, you're, you're going to do okay from that show. You know, Walking Dead and shows like that came out and they told, uh, they told the world... Hey, it's just a genre and we can care about characters and storylines, story arcs. It's not just about ripping balls out, but that could be cool, too. You know, and um, so horror, you know, when I first got into horror, there was there's porno. And horror was right above it as, a, as an actor. Those so those who couldn't even get into horror movies, get into porno. And then you go from porno and you a uh, horror and you work your way up. And then at the end, you work your way. The end of your career, you go back down and you end in horror movies. Ray Milland, you know, a uh, great movie, Lost Weekend, winds up in a movie called The Frogs in 1974. Oh, Ray, don't go. Hey, oh, turn around, Ray. <laughs> so, but But now it's just it doesn't have the stigma. And, you know, people love seeing the sausage made. So they go, Hey, little Billy, his, his hand didn't really get cut off and spray all that blood. That's all fake. See, let's watch the making of. So everybody knows everything. Now it is, there's no magic anymore. There's no secrets. You know, that little Billy will now watch a horror movie and go cheese ball. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he won't be scared or, or maimed or mentally wounded anymore. They don't do that anymore. So I don't know. For some reason it just got more mainstream. And it has always been around, you know, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, Universal. I think 25 percent of their operating budget is based on income from horror movies. So they've always been around. They've been a great staple, but they've never been respected. Like best picture. Uh, You know, a driller killer. You never you're not going to hear that. You know they, they don't get the risk resp- like these are my awards. You know what I mean? You can't identify a single one of the awards that I've won because they're all from very strange outlets. You know? The Saturn,
1: <laughs> I see, Saturn
2: I guess yeah, is my, Saturn, most, yeah, yeah. my <laughs> most mainstream, and I think I lost two of my other Saturns. I think I'm actually a a triple a triple Saturn winner, but you know whatever. But it's a it's a fun world, you know, in horror. It's one of the few genres where you actually get physically involved, where you you leap out of your chair or you scream or you shout. And comedy is about the only other one that'll do that. So as far as getting an audience and grabbing them, horror fills the bill every time. So as an entertainment um, genre, it, it works well. It works very well. But I think filmmakers got to keep mixing it up. We got stuck in torture porn for a while put a guy's penis in a vise and poke it with a stick for half an hour. <laughs> Sorry guys. That's not horror. That's just being a twisted son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah.
1: There is a difference. Yeah.
2: There is a difference. So because let's face it, it takes a skill to create tension, fear, mood, uh, and to make an audience jump. You have to plan it. Uh, when we saw the first Halloween directed by the great John Carpenter, we thought, That guy's planning crap like he does misdirection. Someone's looking over here. Camera turns back. Ah, He's there. You know, they he had to think about it. So uh, there is a lot of craftsmanship that goes into it. People always wondered with the first evil dead. Why has it been around for 40 years? What makes it so special? Sam Raimi happens to be a good filmmaker. It's actually for a low budget movie with a lot of rough edges and cheeseball dialogue and acting. There are some real visual moments in there that are visually stunning. And you don't really get that in horror movies because we didn't shoot it in four days. Like normally you'd run off into the woods and shoot a crappy movie in, the, in a cabin in four days. And it would look like it. Uh, no one can say that Evil Dead looks like any other horror movie just because visually Sam went crazy. And, in a, you know, in a, in a good way. So horror films are, can be great for artistry.
1: Is there anything recently that you've seen come up that you think nails that exact ethic? Well, just to give you an idea of the
2: type of horror, you've got anywhere from the sixth sense. Where is there any blood in the movie? I don't know. Maybe the kid looks at some scary face or whatever. Certainly not the centerpiece. That's it. Yeah. It's all messing with your head. One of my favorite films by the uh, disgraced filmmaker, Roman Polanski. You can still be a creep and a good filmmaker. I'm convinced of that. It's not like they're mutually exclusive, but uh, the tenant is an incredibly powerful movie that messes with your head because it makes you think you're going insane. That takes talent. As a filmmaker, I saw that in college. It creeped me out for four days. So as opposed to the, you know, they still got to work on the the, the blood issue. Uh, digital blood still doesn't really cut it. Uh, we did a remake of Evil Dead in 2013 with Fetty Alvarez. And what Fetty did was pretty cool. He wanted the unknown nature of pressurized blood launching into the air, not knowing where it's going to go. Well, the crew doesn't know it. The cast doesn't know it. And in order to do that, you have to have pressurized tubes. And so he didn't use digital blood. He used digital to hide the tubes. So he used digital to hide his handiwork, not, but he gave you the goods. and You can see the actors like, what the hell is going on? (laughs) That's amazing. He creates a great amount of mayhem. So there's a lot of techniques that you can use. Obviously in horror too, you can go completely there over the top unrated ash versus evil dead is a completely unrated horror tv show if you my character puts his head up a cadaver's butt at one point and i'm like man if fans are itching for more than that you're not gonna get it you were lucky to get that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Well, to go back to uh, to Fetty Alvarez's, what he did with 2013's Evil Dead, which is uh, seriously one of our favorites. that thing was insane. Were there ever any discussions to continue that Mia storyline that you know of?
2: It's hard to say. You know, actors are always uh, destroyed when they work on an Evil Dead movie. So I think Jane Levy didn't want to hear the words Bruce Campbell, Sam Raimi, and Rob Tappert for about a year or Fetty Alvarez for about a year. <laughs> I like, yeah, it was great working on movie. <laughs> like, These movies are very difficult to work on. Physically, they always, actors hit what we call the latex point where they go, get this off my face, get this, get this. They, they just walk off the set, you know, taking all their clothes off, lighting their hair on fire, They <laughs> you know, hitchhiking, catching catch anything, a tramp steamer. To Alaska, because they're they're very difficult. So that may have stalled it for a while, even though the movie did great. You know, we did ninety seven million dollars on a movie that cost (laughs) a million (laughs) dollars. Those aren't the movies you you jump right back into. Honestly, you know, I know as an actor, like I just I just did a Hallmark movie. And I got to tell you, I can't wait to do another Hallmark movie. There's no green screen, no weird props. No stunts, uh, no, no special effects, makeup, nothing. You you just you go, oh, so we're just going to talk in this scene. Yeah. And then what happens after that? Oh, well, then you'll talk a little more in a different scene. Cool. And then you'll talk and this will be sad talk. And then this will be some happy talk. And then you can go home. I'm like, who's been getting away with this crap? It really got me pissed off. I'm like, I missed this 40 years ago. I should have gotten into soap operas. What the hell is I missing? (laughs) (laughs)
1: One thing that you've proven time and time again, too, is that not only are you an exceptional storyteller on the screen and stage, but also as a writer. And you've got a way of engaging an audience and making us feel like in, in your in your last book, feel like we're at a bar together and you're sharing really hilarious and thoughtful, poignant stories. What are some of the ways that you were able to get to that place as a writer? Was there a breakthrough moment where you found your particular voice and style? Yeah. You can't care anymore.
2: Yeah. Because if you a lot of r- early writers go, the little brown fox jumped over the, the green fence. Oh, no, no, no. It should be the, the big, the big fox jumped over the the, the fence with spl- the splintery fence, the splintery. F- oh, no, no, that's not it. And they'll just go crazy. I tell people vomit the shit out. Go back later. It's called word processing. You don't like what you wrote. Fix it later. Don't stop. You're going to have one sentence written by midnight. It just, it's not going to work. So you got to write, you got to write. And if you, you know, I put out this silly book of essays, the the cool side of my pillow. In my case, it was just stuff that I cared about. Like, I hate noise. I hate lots of noise. So I moved back to Los Angeles. What a great idea. Where it's either the traffic copters. I'm like, oh, something's down there, Jim. Oh, boy, that looks like a bad one. Oh, that thing's on fire. Oh, boy. And you know that you're cosmically screwed. And then the, then there's always the, the police one. I got him. I got him. Yeah, he's around McCann place. Yeah, that was, uh, another Hollywood perp. Let's go get him. Get him. Get him. Get him. So and, and then traffic it's just wherever you are I love the real estate people trying to go you, you won't hear hardly any traffic
0: here behind this massive retaining wall that they
2: put up here and you'll get the what they call the echo the of echo. the traffic it's a lot different it's all that white noise scrap but the kids love it the kids go right to sleep you know so
1: I don't know. I don't know how we got here, but we're here <laughs> just talking about writing. So, okay. What kind of relationship do you have with writing in particular, you've worked on screenplays as well as books. Is it a regimented thing where you devote a certain amount of time to your day to sit down and just spew yeah. out on a keyboard? Is is it yeah. laborious for you? What's that process like?
2: Well, there was a buddy of mine who got, uh, he would get these emails from a person who was a copy editor. So she was sort of affiliated with writing and novels and stuff. And she would write emails that were a thousand words long about how she one day needed to write that novel. Can't wait to write the great American novel. And my buddy went, you know, if you spend a thousand pages a day on your novel, you'd be done already. And I don't think he got another email for like a year because it freaked her out. You, yes, you must like anything. If you're a bricklayer, you got to figure out how to lay bricks and you're not going to do that until you screw up about eight or 10 walls that fall over and crush the people you're working with. You won't know until you, until you really get into it. So uh, for me, I'm a morning guy. You got to go with what the habit is. You know, some writers love right stoned. Edit straight. Oh, okay. To release all your great, cool, crazy ideas. Okay. Okay. If that works for you, unnamed writer, director, that's fine. But in my case, um, I do one of these. I got these. I got a board, you know, that um, I put the little three by five cards. Because so if I'm doing a story, uh, I'm writing a comic book for a major comic book company right now. Woo! And, and uh, it's six issues that you've got to plot out. And I cannot just sit there with a, a pen in my mouth going, <laughs> looking at a, brand, a blank page. I want to figure it out scene by scene and know where the story's going. Because I can actually step back from that board and look at the entire story and go, hmm, that first part's a little lopsided. Ooh, that middle's a little fat over there. And so you can get to it before you even write a word. It still may suck, granted, but, you know, I like going in with some kind of of discipline. And by noon, so I'll start early in the morning. And by noon, my brain is is leaking out through my nose. And it's time to cut the grass or go swimming or, you know, something physical.
0: The Boo Crew will be right back. Stephen King, author of Carrie, said, Evil Dead is the most ferociously original horror film of the year. If you think he's kidding, see for yourself. Evil Dead. They got up on the wrong side of the grave. Evil Dead from New Line Cinema. Now playing at these theaters. Check your newspaper for times.
1: There's another thing that comes up in your books and in other conversations I've heard you do, and that is uh, the power of being an observer. So whether that was in the development stages of Evil Dead, where you guys used to go to the drive-in and watch when people's headlights would shine on the screen of things they didn't like in movies <laughs> or, uh, or yeah. you know, even to this day, people in conventions, what pictures are they handing? Oh, you?
2: for sure. What oh, things do yeah.
1: you find that paying attention to all those things unlock? I don't know. I
2: like being out of it. And I like being into it at the same time. You know, I tend to I tend to focus when I work. And then when I'm not working, I'm like.
1: What powers exist in being a keen observer and taking all those things in and doing that research?
2: I actually think that's from being an actor. I think I did it
1: subconsciously over the years because you'd watch how a guy
2: walks. You know, I can still to this day remember how a guy I think his name was Herb Rewald. He had Chesterfield cigarettes and I was on some commercial shoot with him. I'd never seen a guy squeeze his cigarettes quite like that. They didn't have filters. So you can see how it would do it. And the guy would just, he massages cigarettes the whole time. And I kept looking at his cigarette and it was like this warbly thing. I'm like, this guy's really mangling (laughs) poor cigarettes. That's just weird stuff like that. Um, We always would imitate little phrases things that people would say and it's easy it's easy to get that to slide those into characters and then it's even easier to slide it into
1: things that you write about characters that you write about you can take that and change it just enough to not get sued so you got this new movie black friday which we loved and an emmy winning director in casey tebow so what were the things that excited you won an emmy yeah he's emmy winning yep Cause he does, he did a bunch of videos, yeah, right? yeah. music videos. Yeah. yeah. A film with Steven Tyler from Aerosmith as well. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's
2: what I had to tell him. I said, Hey Casey, I'm not Steven Tyler. I don't need a pile of blow in my trailer <laughs> or hookers, you know, just <laughs> come prepared. That's what I need. Here's what I need. I need you to have your shit together. That's what I, <laughs> now, I just wanted Casey to realize he's not hiring Ash. Sure. That you know, I didn't take the part because I thought I could make this, this manager into a macho hero. The whole point is that's what I think makes most of the movie interesting is that these are not the people you want to attack, you know, by aliens, especially on their worst day when they're already completely overrun. And, you know, so I, I liked it because of that. And I, You know, I like the fact that my character is a loser manager of a loser toy store. That's who you attack with aliens, because now I'm interested. You know, I pitched this. uh, I was talking to a Hollywood writer, big, big, fancy pants writer. I said, you know what? You know what diehard would have been better is the guy in the air vent is not an ex L.A. cop. He's an accountant. He's never owned a gun. Never fired a gun. He's up there with his little pin through his tie. Going, boy, is it hot in here? And he looked at me. He goes, "How would he win?" I'm like, "Now you got to write. Now you got to write. And you got to think of how. Okay, maybe he's what's known as a smart individual. Maybe he's a guy who knows the building really well. Maybe he needs he knows the codes to the doors that other people don't. You know what I mean?" Uh, maybe he notices something in there in the guy's outfit that he or he notices a weakness or, a, you know, that his powers of observation, like we're talking about, maybe that's what pulls him through. But th- this writer didn't want to have any part of it. He's like, no, 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 no. This guy's got to be former Navy SEAL, former this. But otherwise, audiences won't believe it. I'm like, man, you're selling yourself short. You could have had a cool story because you don't think the audience is going to root for an accountant taking these assholes out. Like the first time he should get the drop on me, he should go click and like the safety's on. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> you know, and the whole thing starts. And he's never been in a fist fight before. So he's got to like take a guy on in an elevator, you know, like one of these big Russian goons. How do you win? Work it out, writer. Because then if you can make it work, the audience will go, yeah. That's what I would have done. Yeah, take him on a journey, man, for sure. I think that's why the character Ash, people always ask, why do people care? 40 years later, Ash is you. He has zero skills. We got a note from stars once when we were making the TV show. Uh, It's come to our attention. Ash is handling the gun improperly. He's uh, a proper gun handling improper. He's waving it around in front of people's faces. And we were like, okay, thanks for the note. Doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Appreciate it. (laughs) Ash has zero training. I mean, Ash pushes the, pushes the shotgun when he shoots like a thirties gangster, you know? I mean, you think he gives a shit about protocol. So, and a word about safety. I'm going to quickly divert. I issued a memo on before day one of shooting Ash versus evil Dead. I said, Ash will not have a live weapon on set. For as long as this show is shot, we are all doing this all digitally. And I got to be in perfect sync with this guy on the crew who would hit me with a lovely orange interactive light. I'd raise my shotgun and the assistant director would go, ready and bang. it shot in New Zealand. So that's how they would talk. And I would mime the shooting of the shotgun and the guy would hit me with an interactive orange light. Oh, no which way. Sold, really sold it. You put, you put a digital flash in. How long would you like it? Eight inches, six inches, blue, orange, yellow. What would you like? What kind of smoke would you like coming out of that? That's amazing. Because this whole thing, and I've been there for years working with guns. A guy comes up with a flashlight, and you're trying to look. Actors are not armament people. So, here, look down the barrel, Bruce. See that it's clear. Can you see that it's clear? I'm like... Yeah. Can you see the light from the flashlight at the bottom? I'm like, this is stupid. And then he goes, they go from person to person to person. Okay, we good? We good? Yeah. Takes 72 hours and it's still dangerous because wadding can come out. I did a Western, the Adventures of Briscoe County, Jr. The prop guys hated it. They, They hand me the gun. They go, okay, Bruce, you got six dummies in there. You know, six dead loads. I go, great. And I'd point it to the ground and go, click, 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 click. click. Thanks. Now I believe you. And they'd hate that. They'd go, Bruce, that's not not good for the gun. I go, so we, man, burn noticed We shot a lot of guns. We blew a lot of shit up. There are ways to do it safe. But these days, um, yeah, nothing should be real. And look, you're talking to the guy who on the first Evil Dead. Ash hears a noise at a window. He sees a shadow. He looks over, takes a shotgun, blows the window out with a shotgun. Well, how do you do that in 1979? You blow the window out with a shotgun. Oh, my gosh! And you shout outside to Tim, the camera guy. Tim, where are you?
0: (laughs) I'm over here. Don't be there, Tim. Oh, my (laughs) God. Don't be there, Tim.
2: You got to turn it on, turn it on and run. Don't be there. I mean, at least we knew that in 1979 we knew that that guns will kill you. So don't be there. You know, so it's tragic, horribly, horribly tragic. And I hope everyone doesn't get in a pissing match about who is responsible, but you know, this whole thing of Alec, you know, he's, he's going to be more in trouble as a producer than an actor because as an actor, it is not his final responsibility. I took it upon myself as an actor to go click, 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 click. I didn't give a shit what anybody told me. I'm like, I'm doing my own due diligence. You know, now I have now I have confidence that this thing is not going to go off. So, you know, there's ways around all this. It's just too bad that in, in in make believe we still have to deal with this
1: physicality that we should be avoiding. A thousand percent agree. Leo, you had a question about Black Friday, man. Jump in.
0: Yeah, Black Friday has, has this great blend of comedy and gore. Coming in as a, as a veteran in, in this space, did you get to improvise any lines or did you give any suggestions to your co-stars, Devin, Michael, or Ivana? The only thing I
2: insisted on is I told the director, Casey, I said, look, you guys, you got limited time. I understand that. You're running and gunning, but I don't give a crap. Uh, we need to rehearse all of these scenes when we shoot the day that we shoot scene 21 in the storeroom, get everybody out of there. It's just you, me and the actors. And we're just going to figure this out like a play. We don't want to hear about your cool shots. We don't want to hear about your cool special effects. We don't want to hear it because we, what we want to know is how did I get on this box that I'm sitting on? Where did I come from? Where do I go? Give us that chance. And you know, if you tell this to most assistant directors in the business, they'll go, yeah, that makes sense. You you block, you get everyone to sign off on it, and then you commit it to film. The great Howard Hawks, one of my favorites, had all these rat tat tat comedies in the 40s, you know. And what he would do was fantastic. He'd go, okay, actors, come on in in the morning. We're going to rehearse scene 32. And I know you got all these crazy ideas, so let's hear them. Yeah. What's there? Okay. Yeah. Yes. No. Good idea. bad. No, no, no. Yes. No. And then they would agree. Okay. That's the scene. And then they would, he would never let them change it from there because he goes, guys, the guy with the enormous microphone has to come over to your face and record it. So if he doesn't know when you're going to talk, he's going to miss it and it'll wreck the take. So let's get all the creative stuff out and use it. And then let the technical guys do what they do. So I just encouraged Casey because look, you know, he had done a lot of music stuff. It's about the shots. It's about making Steven Tyler look like a rock star. But now you have a story to tell. You have a A to Z story to tell. That's all that matters now. No one, you know, you could shoot a very boring movie, visually boring But if it made sense, it would still be compelling if the story was good and you had a logical, progressive story. So that's all I asked. And so that as a result, we wanted the actors to have the same respect as anybody else. Like, give us the time to work out our business. And see, that's the time. So we would spitball and we would bullshit lines. And Casey was great. He'd go, yeah, fine. That was funny. It makes me laugh. Let's use it. So Whatever Barama, and, and every script is different too. I'll get some scripts, and I go, I ain't touching a word. And there's other scripts, you go,
0: <laughs> you
2: know, it all depends on the script and the scenario too. Some writers, like Aaron Sorkin, would fire me in about 20 minutes because I go, Hey, Aaron, this seems weird that I would breathe after that line. You go, You're fired. <laughs> I did Congo, right? Congo with John Patrick Shanley, who adapted a Michael Crichton book. So it's not even his original material. I did a take. My first take in Congo, I was broadcasting to Laura Linney back in the U.S. from the Congo. And I added a um and a well and a huh. And the script supervisor comes up and goes, excuse me, uh, Mr. Campbell, you added a um and a well and a huh. I was like, yeah, because I was trying to help these transitions, these clunky ass transitions here that you got oh well we need to stick to the script meaning that john patrick bullshit uh had gotten some clause the patty chayefsky clause in his contract meaning actors do not get to change my precious words even though they weren't my words in the first place mr mr john patrick shanley mr mr michael Crichton. so what was take two take two was ruined Of course, because you're thinking about it. Here's me now going, oh, hey, yeah, here we are broadcasting from Congo. Praying to baby Jesus that I would not (laughs) get one line wrong. It's like so and this is like these are the talented people. This is this is like the high end of Hollywood. These are the Frank Marshalls. These are the these are the big productions where you go. Oh, dude. I had more creative leeway on Hercules and Xena in the nineties in Auckland, New Zealand, than this entire shoot, you know, cause you, we did what had to be done. We allowed ourselves the ability to make a scene work because writers sit there in their little dark rooms. Oh, this dialogue is amazing. In their head. It is you bet. Try and say it. I I've shoved scripts and writers faces going, do me a favor. Could you read that for me? How would you do that? Cause I don't know how to do it, but again, that's, you get to the point where you don't care anymore. Cause you go, guys, I'm not arguing about the size of my trailer. I'm arguing about the fact that I'm concerned about where I am in this scene, or I'm acting really weird or not like I should be, or I'm, you know, it's all a movie's a big jigsaw puzzle and everyone's got to find their little pieces as they go. And then they put it together and you hope it's a lovely mosaic.
0: Yeah, the effects uh, by Robert Kurtzman and his amazing team. Were there any fun gore effects ideas that had to be scrapped due to budget or time?
2: You'd have to ask uh, Mr. Kurtzman that. But the cool thing about Bob Kurtzman is Bob goes all the way back to Evil Dead 2. That's right. So we called him Grumpy Bob back in those days. He, He had a little more edge to him back in those days as the artiste special effects guy. Now he's been beaten down enough. He's just like a normal guy. Uh, Bob's great. And, you know, look, uh, one of the nice things about hanging around for a while is you start to run into people over and over again. And some people are like a bad check. You know, you don't want them coming back, but they keep coming back. And other people like Bob, it makes you feel comfortable in your job because you go, Oh, Bob's got this. You know, that it's going to be fine. Bob's worked on high budget, medium budget, low budget, nothing phases him. And I, you know, I think he did a great job and it was just, it's really fun to, just come back and work with Grumpy Bob again.
1: Definitely. What about playing off of Ivana and Devin Sawa? I mean, Devin's a friend of this show. He's a massive fan of yours. He based his performance in Idle Hands entirely on you. What was that yeah. experience like with them?
2: Well, he's he, Devin's great. He, he's a well, they're both of them were kind of veterans in their own sort of way. It's the camaraderie of actors. I love all actors, even the ones that I hate, you know, because it's a if we have a weird job. And I, th- what was nice is we did a Zoom reading before we did this, you know, and you got the little Brady Bunch boxes up there and everyone playing their part. And at the end of it, I was like, we're we are all correctly cast here. You know, they every character that they put in there is appropriately cast, I thought. And so that's kind of good rather than producers sometimes just plunking names and faces in just to fill the boxes uh, rather than an actor that's appropriate for it on top of it. And Devin's got his own little following because every
1: time I mention, him, they go,
2: Oh, damn it. Oh, damn
1: it. I mean, everybody's excited to see you guys (laughs) together acting off each other is an incredible thing as a fan to be able to see. I'll
0: tell you. Yeah. The ending uh, leaves it open for a possible, you know, more adventures on black Friday. Are there any ideas or plans for a sequel? Well, there's Green Saturday
2: that they've been developing for a long time. Now, I, I know love that. I, I, the funny thing is, uh, sure. Look, Ash is dead at the end of Evil Dead. Our second movie bombed. And so we went, maybe Ash isn't dead. So it, it all depends on how it does. You know, if it does well, we'll figure some way to. those producers will milk that teat some other way, you know. I don't know. Who knows? I mean, I hope so, but I'm, my characters, no spoilers. My, my character might not be
1: around for, for a sequel being the loser that he is. Seeing you on that PA, didn't you used to have control of your PA? Was it in high school or college where you ran the PA system? Did I hear that correctly? Yeah, we did the morning. Yeah. Sam Raimi and I did the morning announcements <laughs> and, uh, Man,
2: it was the best time to extract revenge on people. <laughs> oh, I can't imagine. Staming people and <laughs> embarrassing people. Uh, Ken Jenkins, your purple tennis shoe is missing. You know, come and get it at the Lost and Found, if you dare. You know, I mean, it was great. We, and also, because we did radio speech, that's how I met Sam was in that class. If you did, if you did radio speech, you could be the DJ during study halls. Cause you were the, you were the experienced DJ and you'd go into the booth and fire it up. And this, the studio had a door about four inches thick and it was good because I'd close it and lock it. And I knew all the, everyone in the uh, study hall, they were all kind of ACDC type stoner types. And I would play an ACDC piece and then just put my finger. This is back when you had a turntable. <laughs> yeah, I would put my finger on the turntable and drag it to a slow death <laughs> over the course of two minutes and there'd be pounding on the door. Parkers, morning, and then as soon as it was dead, I had another piece queued up. It was a piece of music called cornflakes. I don't even know where I got it. It's the most embarrassing, stupid music. Didn't like your aunt wouldn't even play. Oh my god! And I would just play that. There you go. Sorry. We had technical difficulties playing AC, I guess the AC ran out in the studio, you know?
0: Genius.
2: <laughs> we did, yeah, morning announcements are good. We did a morning show. We did a morning serial, like a like a radio serial, in like no a radio way. play. Captain Nemo, The Adventures of Captain Nemo.
1: So you just read it or did you write your own write? Oh, you own you'd original? act it out yeah. because it's
2: sound. You had sound effects and music and, oh, it was a very big production. And because we gave our teacher an announcing job, he let us do it. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, we learned politics. Give the old, yeah, guy, exactly, give the old right? guy a little bit of part. Yeah. Nice. He goes, yeah, Dude. hey, we're going to do the show this morning. <laughs> Guys, we're going to do the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Paul. we got a part for you, too. Ge- oh,
0: yeah. Genius. We better reverse this right away. I mean, straight age. Straight age. Being an observer,
1: time. that's what that does. All right, one I last know. question. One last question. So, looking to the future, now that uh, the Evil Dead franchise has expanded beyond having to be strictly canon, we've got exciting people like Lee Cronin, coming in for rise just how yeah. big and crazy do you see the franchise getting
2: well this was never a franchise i hesitate to even use the word this was a franchise that fell off the back of a truck <laughs> uh you know the first evil dead ash is dead he's dead the hero tried and he failed and he's dead but we wanted to stay in the film business and our second movie crime wave Bomb. so we we got around to do another evil dead movie and so You know, the idea of all this is really just to stay busy, stay active and try and entertain on whatever level you can for as long as you can until they show you the exit door. And then you can host Saturn Awards. Right.
1: (laughs) Which you did last week. (laughs) 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 That's got to be awesome, though, man. It's got to be awesome to be in that room with all your peers and all these people. Well, the funny thing about
2: about the Saturns is... You will have more big shots at the Saturns than you will at the Academy Awards. (laughs) I saw Frank Marshall there. He's a big Hollywood producer. He's Spielberg's producer. I go, so, Frank, are we at the Saturn Awards? He goes, goes, don't tell anybody. You know, I've been been nominated for 10 Academy Awards. I'll never win one of those damn things. I come to the Saturn. I'll, I'll get my Saturn.
1: <laughs> Fuck yeah.
2: and so I think yes. at home, he's got a shelf of Saturn. Yes. He's like, yes. yeah, I want some awards. <laughs> I mean, I was sitting at a table one year with James Cameron and his whole family from Canada. He's like, <laughs> I mean, waiting to win that Saturn. I think it was for, it was fight for aliens or something like that. You know he was thrilled. And they won't give you the hook either when you accept your award. I play the cue music. Yeah. Oh, there was a guy <laughs> at the last set of awards. If they had recorded it, it would have been his audiobook. <laughs> and then i was born in sicily it was an overcast day when i was five my mother beat me but i learned a lesson i'm like oh my god <laughs> they would have been playing that piano music
1: but in 40 seconds but anyway, you know, God bless the Saturday. That's awards. right, and God bless horror and sci-fi, yes. and God bless Bruce Campbell, yeah. man. Thank you so much yes. for hanging out with us. We appreciate it yes. so much, man. Yes. thanks, folks. Awesome out of trouble. All
2: right, later. I'll see you for the sequel that I'm dead in. Yes,
1: Green yes. Saturday. <laughs> that was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 279. Special thanks to our guest, the iconic Bruce Campbell. Follow him at shemp underscore Malone on Instagram and bruce-campbell.com and see Black Friday at time of release in theaters November 19th and on demand November 23rd. Production tracks provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying...
0: truly. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at talesfromtheboocrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, <laughs> horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy. For disturbing and terrifying creepypastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.